You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 406, imposter syndrome. Wait, what am I doing here? Sorry out, Emma Hayes in. Why aren't women appointed as football managers? And maybe the nostalgia market has hit the buffers with Woodstock 50. That's all coming up right after Lush and Lady Killers. sounds as exciting and vibrant today as it did when it was released 23 years ago. Number 22 in the UK in the spring of 1996, Lush and Lady Killers. (laughs) 
I can't believe how old it is. What a wonderful tune that still is. Although, having said that, I say I can't believe how old it is. I can't believe how old we all are. <laughs> Signs that you were living in uh, an indie middle age when Emma Anderson from Lush is in your book group. As oh, my she word. Is in mine. I know. It's, it's, it's a very small world. Hastings <laughs> really is the place where indie, uh, indie people sort of uh, wash up a bit later on. But no, Emma is a charming woman and I like her very much. But it always really makes me laugh that, uh, that yeah, I can say, tell 15-year-old me that Emma Anderson from Lush will be in your book group one day. That's, that's wonderful. It's great. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast from the Paris Council. It's episode 406. I'm Terence Stackham and from the guaranteed 365 days of the year sunshine of the south coast of England is Juliet Harris. Hello. It's not actually raining at this moment in time so that <laughs> is technically true. We're not the sunshine coast. Eastbourne styles itself. Is oh. it? But much in the same way as you style yourself Sir Terence, Eastbourne <laughs> styles itself. The Sunshine Coast welcomes you as you drive in. Hastings has to content itself to being to being home of television. And uh, between the two, Bexhill, between Hastings and Eastbourne, is the home of British motor racing. So if you want to come and see some sights, those are the kind of things that you might learn about. It really is all there, isn't it? It's all <laughs> happening around these parts. Anyway, hello everyone. Sorry. A, a, f- a friend of mine, a writer and a broadcaster, was telling me about a sudden moment of self-realisation he had. Mm. He was with Paul McCartney, of all people, in Paul's offices <laughs> I mean, in Soho gonna, Square. That's going to make you feel maybe a little bit insecure if you well, are around one of the greatest living musicians of all time. This is exactly what happened, because I think he, I think he, they were discussing something to do with sleeve notes for an album or something. And Paul McCartney left the room for a few moments, and my friend suddenly uh, thought to himself... What am I doing here? I'm talking with Paul <laughs> McCartney. And he felt an urge, he said, to throw open the windows and shout, Hey, I'm in here with Paul McCartney. What do I do? Um, so it's a common reaction in, in such situations, defined as imposter syndrome, when you can doubt your accomplishments and fear being exposed. And uh, the late writer and activist Maya Angelou said, and I'm quoting now, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find me out now, and um, that I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. And last year, Michelle Obama said her imposter syndrome never goes away, which I think is really interesting. That's jaw-dropping, that, isn't it, it People really? of that magnitude, yeah. So, Absolutely. Jules, it appears there are times when many of us feel that we're just not good enough to be where we are. Yeah, and I, I have in the past as well. Not so much nowadays, but certainly when I was a woman in my 20s, I... I yeah, I, I, and it doesn't help when you've got people, you know, when you're having slightly sort of bullying bosses around mm. you. You know, I felt like saying to people at certain times, I don't need anyone to tell me I'm rubbish. You know, I've got me to do that. That's my <laughs> job. That's not yours. Um, yeah, I find it hard at times. And I think it's... It, I find... It seems to be particularly prevalent among women in their 20s, I think, and 30s. Uh, younger women certainly seem... And I find it interesting. I was having some conversations with some female friends of mine recently who are a bit older than me, and one, I think, is 41, and the other one is, is between 35 and 41, between our two ages. And the older one said... "I did." We were talking about it, and I said, oh, I'm finding my 30s more fun than my 20s. And she said, just wait till you hit your 40s, and you really don't care about anything. <laughs> and I thought it was very telling that they said as they got older, they just cared less about what people thought thought and that it was very liberating and I think that's often 
to some extent where imposter syndrome comes from because we're constantly comparing ourselves badly to others aren't we and thinking oh I can't do this and I can't do that I always was very struck by I, th- I think sometimes it is a gendered thing not always but sometimes it can be gendered um, I think I, it was Yvette Cooper that I saw speak somewhere once and she, I think it was her that said that if you get a job sometimes if you apply for a job you get one of these kind of person specifications and sometimes for the sake of argument let's say they have 10 points on them saying these are the sort of things that we're looking for in the person that that's going to have this job so it will say things like oh you know you know comfortable with excel spreadsheets (laughs) um you know experience in giving presentations but there'll be things like that and a woman you know, experience in this area, this field or area. Um, so a woman will pick up that job description. I have done this my part, myself in the past and gone, I can only do eight out of ten of those. I don't think I should apply for that. I'm not going to be quite good yeah. enough for that job. A man will pick up the same job description and go, I can do four of those. I can do that job. <laughs> and will apply for the job and then get the job. Not saying that that's always the case before people write in and call me a feminazi, but you you, you know what I mean. It's it's. Mm. I do think sometimes it is a gendered element. Um, sometimes it doesn't help when you're only training so I used to get it used to get it a lot when I was training and when you're training around people who are very senior and not always very sympathetic it is you know easy to think that I remember I remember getting absolutely blasted when I was training at a very unpleasant firm it has to be said I can say that now and I remember asking a question a month after I qualified and being asked why I didn't know it and I just said in a moment of frustration I qualified a month ago. It's not like someone waves a magic wand and mm. I suddenly know everything. And I cannot tell you how many times that phrase was repeated back to me in meetings and appraisals negatively. It's just, it's bad management, I think. I think so. I, th- I think sometimes a p- imposter syndrome at work stems from bad managers who are often quite insecure themselves i think who try to squash other people down in order to deal with their own imposter syndrome which is you know nice so so thanks for that but yeah <laughs> i struggle with it sometimes and i and i think everyone has moments of self-doubt and i think actually i'm more worried about people that don't suffer from imposter syndrome than people that do really because if you think you're good at everything all the time the chances are you're probably not which leads me on to this fun daily mash quiz terence would you like to do this with me (laughs) i will it's it's, the line is are you suffering from imposter syndrome or are you genuinely Do you feel like you flute your way into your current position, aren't up to it, and are terrified of being found out? Um, so, uh, oh, this, bear with me. Um, let's answer these questions and find out. So, um, the the first question, Terence, and mm. these are A or B okay. answers. So, let's do an A or B. Um, so, it's a, um, do you apply for promotions at work or do you feel like you might not be good enough? What is it that holds you back? Is it a lack of confidence? A, it's not a lack of confidence. It's that I know for certain I won't get them and don't want to humiliate myself. B, I apply for every promotion going but never get them. I don't know why. I've got three GCSEs. No, it would be A for me. Yeah, if excellent. I was... Question two, do you have an irrational fear of being found out? A, all the time b what for is this something to do with the petty cash oh god forgot i said that <laughs> I have to be a again <laughs> okay answers mostly a's you are suffering from imposter syndrome <laughs> build your self-confidence with professional counseling or regular cocaine use says this daily mash spoof article <laughs> mostly b's you are a mindlessly overconfident twitch who isn't aware of their own failings you'll be just fine so i do think sometimes there is a lack of um, <laughs> 
there is a uh, uh, there, there is a bit of a lack of, of self-awareness sometimes. So I think sometimes uh, in, imposter syndrome could perhaps be repackaged as people that are self-critical and have some awareness of their own failings. But where, where it, it becomes an issue is when you can't find a way to move through that and think, right, okay, so what am I going to do to give myself more skills? What am I going to do to make myself feel more confident about this? And I think that being put down by other people doesn't help sometimes either. When I saw the the um, the quotes about this this week, especially the Michelle Obama one, I, I was thinking for, for me, I think it depends on the situation. If I'm working in an area of something I'm experienced in, then I don't think I have too many issues with that. But I think yeah. I'm very prone to other syndromes of a similar nature. I don't know what they're called, but I definitely take it to heart. If I fail at something, especially if I thought whatever it was should have gone better, I really do... Um, you know think about that quite regularly and then the thing is though I think I'm never really comfortable and I think this is possibly uh, the syndrome that we've been doing I'm never really comfortable talking about something that was successful either I I know this is kind of grim but I get a hot flush if anybody asks me about say spitting image which did go well for me or maybe one of the movies I've worked on which were relative successes and you've worked on several very successful movies can I just point out then I, 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 I kind of freeze inside and I don't know what to say so maybe maybe I do have imposter syndrome which is great I've just I've just talked myself into another mental issue to, to, to deal with. <laughs> you see, it was you that picked this yeah. topic, could I just point out? Though I would, let's, look, why don't we end on a rather mm. cheery, a cheerier note from the late, great Victoria Wood, who mm. said, um, I've, I don't have a fit inferiority complex. I've never really felt important enough to have one, really. <laughs> Excellent. How many women managers are there in the 92 clubs that make up the English Football League? Spoiler alert, none! Uh, yes, I was going to say I think we know the answer, and that is the answer. Uh, that's next, right after the Supremes.
I really like this record for many reasons. One, because it's by the Supremes, and Diana Ross has one of the loveliest singing voices ever, frankly. I am, I am such a fan of Nathan Jones as a tune. Also, as a, uh, as a joke, uh, fairly recently there was a, a football player called Nathan Jones that was referred to, and uh, Dan Walker, the, uh, the, the usually quite straight-laced television presenter, who's, who's you know, got a pleasant manner, but it's quite serious usually, will, um, uh, said, uh, made a reference to passing, passing to Nathan Jones, and he said, oh, presumably he's been gone too long. Oh. And I just thought, oh, what a superstar, frankly. Although, having said that, I've just opined about Diana Ross. She's not actually on this. She does, she left, her, she, she she left, left the group before, at this yeah. point. But having said that, wouldn't it be nice to have heard her sing it? I think that's the only thing that could improve Nathan Jones for me. But I just think it's a it's a stunning song. Um, although, part of me really hopes that Dan Walker is referencing that and not the Bananarama cover version. Oh, Lord, no. no oh, gosh, no. But it's, it's funny, only in retrospect, I think, is it a, a, a thing that the Supremes carried on and had plenty, I think it was eight more eight, hits. Eight more hits mm. going into this. Um, and, After and, Diana Ross left. The, and, and they didn't sound that different because I no. thought Diana Ross was on it. So clearly there wasn't, it's not me being completely stupid. Oh, not that, at all, no. Uh, the way I remember it um, is you just heard a great song on the radio and thought, ah, oh, the Supremes and all was good. You know, it, it, there was, the Diana Ross leaving wasn't an, an issue at the time, really. Um Yes, as, as we, um, as Jules said, the answer to that question posed just before Nathan Jones is, of course, that there are no women managing any of the 92 clubs in the English leagues. Uh, as we record this podcast, uh, Maurizio Sarri of Chelsea is facing mm. facing renewed speculation, as the tabloids put it. That Any, it, anybody in any position of power in Britain at the moment is facing <laughs> renewed yes. speculation. Yes, as we record this, particularly people in yes. blue, by yes. and large. Yes. Yeah, very true. Um, yes, it, that he, it, sorry that he won't be retained to take charge next season, and the reason uh, this is of particular interest is, Jules, that some media commentators are asking why instead of seeking another managerial holy grail by appointing yet another big name from outside the club maybe there's a potential appointee closer to home yeah, absolutely. So there is some chatter that Emma Hayes might be considered. Emma Hayes is the current manager of uh, Your Ladies Chelsea, yes. I believe, and has been rather successful in that role. And there is talk that, well, she knows the club, she knows the structure, she knows how it works. Why not? It's it's It would be very interesting. It would certainly be a very, very high-up role to uh, to sort of be, be walking into, I think. It's not like she'd be... Um, it's not like she'd be, be she'd be starting at a, at a smaller sort of club, is it? No. Really, she'd be she'd be right at the top. Frankly, um, it would be very. That's a very exposed place in which to kind of start that. Really, it would be interesting. Uh, they reckon these these uh, Sunday supplement panel um, on Sky, other channels are available. Reckon that she would at least get an interview, which I think is quite interesting. I wouldn't mm. think she'd even get that, but um, there's. It will be interesting to see if she if she is taken on. Um, it's it's a really I mean, it feels like a very exposed environment. It feels like almost like she'd be set up to fail taking on mm. a club at that level at that with that level of expectation. Put it this way: if you're getting rid of managers for finishing third in the Premier League, <laughs> um, it, it seems yeah. quite a high pressure environment, doesn't it? Really, um, there. There have been there have been female football managers in the past, or rather, there's been uh, managing a female teams. Hope Powell managed England for many mm-hmm. years. Um, however, interestingly, there's only been um, sort of one female manager, um, Corinne Diacre, um, a, a French 
professional football coach and former defender. She did. She became the first woman to coach a men's professional football team, Clermont Foot, in a competitive uh, match in France. She was she was there for a little while, I think, actually. Mm. Um, she was uh, she was there for a whole three. She was a whole there for a whole three years, oh, and yeah. she replaced hmm. Helen Acosta, who was the head coach there. So actually, interesting that that men's professional football club had two had two female managers there. I'm I'm quite impressed by that actually. And she then, this woman that that managed Clermont Foot then went on to be the manager of France's women's national football team. I would point out that Clermont Foot were not at a particularly high level, I don't think, but um, I really admire them. Isn't it funny how? France seems to be often the place where this innovation takes place. Amelie Moresmo famously being Andy Murray's coach for uh, mm, for a few yeah. years as well, and well for a little for a couple of years anyway, mm. I think. But um, yeah, I'd be interesting to see what happens. I I, I note that. Um, football manager i often i mean people may laugh but um football manager is often quite in its quiet way quite an innovative game i think we might have spoken previously that Mm. stephen bush interviewed them once for the new statesman and they had not long after the referendum vote took place here in britain models so when you play on this game the idea is that you can play many seasons into the future and i've often talked about the alternative reality element that you can kind of create i once had a great season with frank lampard captaining sheffield wednesday i got him on a free it was so good anyway so so lots of things like that and uh, ryan Giggs became she- a sheffield united player manager lots of and ryan rooney never played for england in my version not never left everton he was sort of the stephen gerrard except without an england career it was all very wacky but these these football manager people have managed to make a game a version of the game they had they modeled it in three different ways depending on which outcome of brexit took place regarding free movement so a no deal brexit britain remaining in the single market and then some sort of customs union type arrangement and they actually said why is it that we we have managed to model out three different future possibilities of brexit and think about the implications and we make a computer game and people running government have not managed to do that (laughs) and and in that in that kind of sort of vein maybe football manager if it is predicting the future for this season for the first time you can play as a female football manager well, that's, that's that's good and it's a shame that it, it's po, you know post positive as so far in the future because i i hope uh of course that it happens both for emma hayes and other women that they do get managerial roles in in men's football and it happens soon and i tell you what it'd be marvelous to see some neanderthals like richard keys and andy gray given a <laughs> metaphorical boot up the rear end if that happens there's still massive helpings of misogyny available oh, absolutely. At football for, for, for the same reason that there i cannot seriously believe that there is no player at any of the 92 league football clubs who is gay there are gay players they're just not out because of the atmosphere at the moment in football clubs in crowds yes i think so I mean, football has a long way to go to make it more inclusive but because it's a long way doesn't make it shouldn't happen speedily and soon and there is yeah there's Absolutely, a yeah. reprehensible lack of inclusive inclusivity barely a handful of non-white managers through those 92 clubs no footballer as you say dares come out as gay for fear of the repercussions and um, i hope someone will soon there are mm. there are a couple have come out after very relatively recently retiring and there are rumors that there are two or three that are sort of in talk so to speak I really really hope but, that someone does but how terrible that they feel that, that, know, that they would be so abused I'm not saying that's right and of course, I think it's 
Uh, yeah, and w- women are. Wo- I really admire them. Mm, women are woefully misrepresented, both as managers and referees and assistant referees. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the, the the reaction in football itself by. Um, let's say, but from crowds. I know I've spoken about this before, so I'll just say briefly, but I can never forget how um, when Dr Eva Carniero was was club doctor at Chelsea, if she treated a player, and this is only two, three years ago, if she treated a player and then had to walk around the pitch to the get back to the bench, she would do so accompanied by a very loud chorus of cat calls and wolf whistles from all around the ground. Mm. And, and it, you know, it's horrendous to hear. So it would be great to see Emma Hayes given the opportunity to manage the Chelsea men's team or any other top club. But personally, I fear it won't happen. I hope I'm wrong. No, absolutely. I agree. Although, interestingly, it's do you remember a little while ago when Jackie Oatley became the mm. first uh, Match of the Day commentator and there was such a fuss about mm. it and loads of people criticising her and all that kind of stuff. And now when I turn Football Focus on, or not Football Focus, the afternoon one, final score, and oh, I yes. turn that on, um, for those of us that don't live in a world of Sky, this is mm. how we consume mm. our kind of afternoon uh, football. And it's interesting that when I just sort of... Because often I'm not sort of completely watching it. I'm posturing around doing yes. things at home, maybe getting the dinner or tidying up in the kitchen. Or just, or just you know, sort of messing about, and I thought. So you hear voices kind of drift on onto your ear, and it's amazing that quite a, when they go around the grounds now, and they have reporters reporting, and so they're not necessarily commentators, but they are reporters, sort of you know, giving packages of what's gone on, highlights packages. More often than not, they're women now, or there mm. are nearly as many women as there are men. So it's some of the retired football players like Lucy Ward and Sue Smith. They sometimes pop up as well as you know more more known female journalists. But I think I think it's interesting that progress has moved. It took ages for progress to happen there. Then now, all of a sudden, it seems like I've just woken up and gone, oh, this is this is quite normal now. So maybe it just takes one or two to do it. And, and for more importantly, for people to keep faith in them. So that female football manager over in France, the first female football manager of that club, was sacked very quickly and it ended quite badly. What's less reported is that they stuck with it because they appointed a woman to replace her who lasted for three years, which is about the, li- the lifespan of a usual football manager who then went on for another, a better job, which was managing the France national women's side. So it'd be interesting to see if something does happen the BBC stuck with Jackie Oatley and now now female commentators are normal I hope that once it does happen that they stick with it that it isn't just oh well that works so we won't ever try it again because that team uh, Clermont Foot stuck with it and and it worked Yes and I I would say that uh, the Satellite and cable channels are actually ahead of the ahead of the BBC and ITV on this because um, both of them excellent on BT and Sky. Uh, Lindsay Hipgrave and Kelly Cates, who yes, absolutely, are both who, absolutely first class. Uh, yeah, and, and, and anchors, sort of anchor women. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although interestingly, the BBC have done a great deal to um, to to progress Enia Luco and uh, Alex Scott yes. as uh, pundits. They've both been brilliant, and and now seem to commentate on men's football quite often. I think they do pop up on Match mm. of the Day occasionally. Alex Scott quite a lot, I think. So uh, yeah, I really admire them. Next, fifty years since Woodstock. Want to buy the box set or go to the anniversary concert? That's next after this gorgeous track, uh, suggested by listener Steve Woolley. It's Duran Jones and the Indications. It's still in San Diego. You can hear a baby cry. 
to uh, Steve Woolley for highlighting this for us. Uh, if you listen to the album, by the way, that it's from, which is it's magnificent, you, you find you could easily be listening to the Chai Lights or Harold, Harold Melvin and the Blue mm. Notes in the I, 1970s. I in, yeah, mm. I must investigate that album because I, I, I hadn't heard of them before you sent no, me, me that too. track and yeah. I really loved it. I thought it was great. 
The album is called American Love Call and from it, with something of a commentary on life in America in 2019, Duran Jones and the Indications and Morning in America. And not, to be con- not to be confused with current gentleman Jack star Saran Jones, which is what I misheard no. when you first told me about it. Yeah, first episode of that last Sunday. I really enjoyed it mm, here it in the excellent. UK. Yeah, mm. uh, it's, uh, it's a, it looks like it's going to be uh, a good drama to watch through the summer. And, Indeed. Uh, Duran Jones and the Indications, they're touring across America and Europe this summer. So if you like that track and you'd like to see them live, uh, there's plenty of opportunities to do so. Jules, 50 years this summer since the original Woodstock Festival. And I found for you the ultimate souvenir. Uh, Woodstock 50, Back to the Garden, the definitive anniversary archive. Oh, I think my mum would like this. This is a potential birthday present for my mum because she loved Woodstock. She was 16 in 1969. Sorry for announcing her age, but I think it's it's conceptually useful here. And we went to see the Revolution exhibition, which I think we spoke about on this Mm, podcast at the the B&A and loved it. And particularly the last room where you could watch Woodstock and she originally had the, uh, the 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 triple LP the original soundtrack although I believe unfortunately I couldn't ever never understand why she ended up with her ex-husband's Bible and he ended up with the Woodstock LP I really do feel she lost out there and to some extent but um yeah uh, she would like this. Tell me more about it, Terence. Well, like, buy it's, it for my mother for a birthday. You can. It's the anniversary archive. Uh, now, this is a box set. In fact, it comes in a crate. And that, right. the reason for that is there are <laughs> 38 CDs. 38, 38 CDs, 432 tracks, and all the inevitable extras, a Blu-ray cut of the movie, replica programmes and posters and so on, all yours for, in English money... So how much is my mum's love worth, Terence? £624.99. Pence. You know, I think we'll go out for fish and chips and play the Who really loudly in the car on the way home. What do you reckon? <laughs> I think that's probably more sensible. I love that extra 99 pence, you know, I 624, know, it, but they had it, to... It, it, uh, it's, uh, but having said that, you'd think, if that's £625, I'm not buying that. Oh, it's fine, it's six hundred twenty-four ninety-nine. Knock yourself out, man. Oh, my gosh. I think you better order two sets, one to play and one to one one to give to your mum and one to sort of keep, you know, it's as a souvenir. A plan, do you think? Yeah, I, I think um, <laughs> I think this is an absolutely ideal uh, gift. Uh, no, go with the fish and chips and the and yeah, the hoop. I, I, I think she would genuinely enjoy that, and I think she would probably never speak to me again if she found out I'd spent six hundred ninety nine pence on, as my dad once memorably put it, a load of people that can't sing in a field on drugs. <laughs> now it's only a couple of weeks back that we were musing that there, that there seems to be an infinite demand for nostalgia acts. We mentioned Led Zepp, uh, Elton John, Queen, but now I'm wondering if we have to introduce a caveat to this theory. Yes, but think of it as, as like you're familiar with a popper and his uh, his black swans theory, which is he starts off by saying all swans are white, and it's about refining your hypothesis over time. And so when you find a black swan, you then refine your hypothesis to all swans are white except one. So maybe this is our black swan, Terence. I, I think we found the black swan because uh, there's, there's market, maybe there's a market for movies and one-off gigs and musicals and so on. But perhaps people don't want to actually recapture going back to the garden um, as it appears <laughs> that the festival festival plan for this summer, Woodstock 50 at Watkins Glen, is in big trouble and may not go ahead. So perhaps, Jules, people are going off the idea of camping in a field for three days and bathing in the lakes like they did in 1969. Mm, 
this is true. Maybe all of us move on with our lives mm. at some stage. And also, maybe maybe you can have too much of a good thing. You know, maybe uh, uh, thinking about Woodstock, maybe it would be nice to have a few more CDs. Maybe having 38 <laughs> CDs worth of Woodstock <laughs> stuff for several hundred pounds is perhaps a bit much, really. I mean, I, you know, speaking as someone that does like a little bit of nostalgia, I mean, for example, if you can, if you can, re, if you can reinvent it, or if you can offer people a, a new product or an old product in a new way, if you can have an element of newness about it, then I think that works. For example, for Record Store Day, which is an occasionally vexatious topic that comes up around these parts, I agree that most of it is now completely ridiculous. And that's a good example, actually. It's become about you know ACDC picture disc reissues for £22 it's become about nothing interesting mm. but I very much enjoyed buying the Elastica Radio 1 sessions LP this year um, because it had never been released on vinyl before and it was really nice to have a have a version that was in a new format so Woodstock is available on CD um, I, I don't know there's just something about it I think if you can find a way of bringing something new so for example Lost Nick Drake tapes I always find that quite interesting as well but i don't know it does there does i think there is an element of greed in play here i think if there was a four cd woodstock box set that was really good quality that did have a new kind of print or a new cut of the film that was say 25 30 pounds people like me would go do you know what yeah i think that is that mm. is worthwhile i think my mum would really like that you know there or, or you know people that would buy it for themselves maybe i just sorry to make everyone feel massively old by the way but um <laughs> but yeah it, it does seem a bit i don't know it does seem a bit daft that 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 seems to it you know it seems to be all or nothing i think there is there is room for a nostalgia market that is affordable but if you are going you there is such a thing as pricing your audience out not even 50 quid man can become 624 quid man overnight oh, just going back to the proposed mm. uh, festival the, the 50, 50th anniversary festival yes. this summer there's there is i wonder if they've got themselves into a tangle with the lineup because there's talk there is talk of new investors coming on board but when i went to the web website uh, yesterday mm. tickets even though the, the gig's supposed to be on i think in a couple of months time um tickets were not yet on sale um, but the lineup is advertised and it so tell me who's the lineup then, well it's, it's peculiar it's a mixture of the old and new and i wonder if okay. that's the problem is that they're mm. falling between two stools so you've got people who were there at the uh, festival you know played at the festival in 1969 robert plant john sebastian melanie Canned oh, heat, country God, joe and the fish. I, I, I mean, the, oh, country joe and the fish. I was mm. going to say, if, if it's not country joe and the fish, I don't want to know, frankly. So that that's at least kept <laughs> so, me interested briefly. Exactly, but then, sort of co co headlining, let's say, mm. Jay Z, Miley Cyrus, <laughs> and Chance the Rapper. This makes no sense at all. That no, is that I, is ridiculous. I wonder if that's really. the problem. I think that is the problem. Why would people... I mean, people... I would be very surprised if there was a huge crossover between Jay-Z vans and people who had even ever heard of Country Joe and the Fish, frankly. I, I think that's... Or poor old Melanie. I think that's... I think that's not... That's not very likely. And you would be... Would you not be put off if you were going to watch all those heritage jacks and then you have to deal with Jay, Jay-Z shouting away halfway through? I, yeah, I I'm, so. I'm not... Um, yeah, I think that's the problem. I think if they'd done it properly 
I think it would have been quite interesting. But also, it, you know, maybe it gets to a point where you miss a moment. And I know that 50 is a nice round anniversary. Mm. It was 50 years ago. Some of those people are dead, you know. Yeah, um, lots particularly, of them. Mm. Particularly Jimi Hendrix, yes. you know, who, whose, whose moment was seminal. Is it possible to recreate something if the, if the original actors have died? I don't know. No, I think you know it's it's gone. It had its day, and let it let it fly off into the clouds. Now, don't keep trying to recreate it for financial gain. Of course, I mean, I I hope if it goes ahead, it is three days of peace, love, and music, and that more importantly, everybody gets paid. But at the moment, it seems uh, very uh, up in the air whether it actually goes ahead or not. Yeah, I agree. Jules, um, when you're not taking your mother for fish and chips... Um, <laughs> and buying her £624.99 box sets. Oh, yes. What are you up to this week? Well, uh, t- tomorrow, or it might be today by the time you hear mm. this, who knows, it may even have been yesterday, sorry mm. if it was, um, on Friday the 24th of uh, May 2019, I am DJing with my cohort, Bongo Debbie, <laughs> whose name you like so very I much, do, yeah. at, um, at the Dragon Bar in Hastings, doing all vinyl all night, 8 till 11pm uh, in George Street. Um, lots of, uh, also, it's a really nice restaurant as well, so, mm. so come and have something to eat and see us spin some great tunes for you. That will be a lot of fun. And then I am away to Suffolk for a few days. So I'm very much in, uh, very much looking forward to um, just having a week off. I will bring dispatches back next weekend. Oh, that'd be good. I, I think you're going to take the weather with you as well. I think it's going to be okay. Uh, from, oh, well, thank you. From the weather thank forecast. You. Thank you for the reassurance. I, I, did, I did have a look. I feel much happier for, I, for I, it. I think. I looked at the BBC weather for you in, in Suffolk next week. It looks good. Oh, I, I, I love our podcast. <laughs> it's the greatest. Thanks to you for listening. Yeah, particularly you. I'm surprised you're still here. And special thanks to Rona and Hilly. As uh, always. And to play us out, Jules, a delicious single released this week. Yeah, I, I heard this on the radio the other day and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was terrific. Um, I a, a band that I know little about, they've got an album that's just about to come out and I really like this tune. Um, it's by a band called um, Swimming Tapes or as you refer, uh, insisted on referring to them by text message, You're Swimming People. <laughs> and uh, this is Keep Her Closer and it's really nice.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production.